Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome to another edition of the State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast. I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi. Alongside me, as always, is Paul Gillieri. Paul, it's a special week. It's a very special week with a very special guest. That is correct. Uh, if you are a Pearl Jam mega fan, and why wouldn't you be if you're listening to this, then you are certainly aware of the stalwart website, The Sky I Scrape, and its uh, forum companion. Red Mosquito. And if you are aware of that, then you are certainly aware of the, um, well, the legend. I'm just going to say the legend, <laughs> Brian Sippelman, otherwise known as Stip. Hello, sir, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor to be here. I'll say oh, honor. He's buttering us up already. Nah, I like it. It's like I, Now I can cross off all the, all the nasty questions I have because he's been so nice to us. <laughs> yeah, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, it's not your first rodeo. <laughs> so we wanted to have Stip on because it's been about a year since um, we got going, a little over a year now. And actually around this time last year, uh, the Skyscrape did a little featured post that, hey, we exist. And as we were just saying before we started recording, um, we were very excited by this. And um, one of the things that uh, I know I've, I look forward to every album cycle at the very least is these stip uh written reviews of songs and albums and so we could not be happier that you're here step it's my pleasure i'm always happy to to talk shop what would you say is your uh is your official title not official but you know like what what would you say you do here i can quote the bobs uh at red mosquito yeah uh moderator um i Unlike most of the moderators, I focus primarily just on the the Pearl Jam side of the the board as opposed to the rest of it. Um, and when I'm uh, when I'm on the ball, I try to come up with uh, content uh, activities like the the March Madness tournaments, the uh, the guided tour threads, the Let's Actually Listen threads, the the Song of the Moments, just um, things that can keep the the community talking to itself and engaged with the the music and the lyrics and the the substance of the band, um, especially during the stretches when they're not they're not touring. There's not a new album, you know. There's not something that's organically there to get everybody excited. Now, Stip, how did you get into this community? Um, like, how did you get into the skyscrape, Red Mosquito? So, I first discovered the skyscrape. I was thinking about this uh, the other day. I think in 1998, because I remember. The computer I was on uh, and which college dorm room I was in, that was my uh, sophomore, no, junior year. So and, you were AOL dial at that point, right? Uh, You're AOL dial. The CompuServe guy. Yeah, uh, whatever the, uh, this, no, this is college internet. I don't think I had internet at home yet. Um, <laughs> and uh, I wanted to, I think I wanted to try to figure out what Eddie was mumbling during uh, In My Tree. And, you know, the, I, whatever search engine Yahoo or whatever I was using at the time, like the skyscrape came up and not knowing how the internet worked back then, you know, I found this online. This must be the definitive lyrics. Like I don't, they don't feel right to me. And it turns out that they were just, you know, somebody's, you know, I'm listening with headphones and trying to like scrawl out the the lyrics. Um, but that's where I learned the the website and that like, you could find this resource that, you know, had all of these, these lyrics uh, blew my mind. Um, I don't think I started posting on the forums until Riot Act. Um, and I was, uh, you know, just on here and there, uh, maybe a little bit after binaural, uh, but it's in the lead up to Riot Act in particular. Um, just comments about songs, like, you know, uh, talking about lyrics, the things that I, I liked to do. Uh, and then I disappeared for a little bit, but I started coming around more regularly for the, uh, the March Madness tournaments, which I did not start. And uh, posted regularly in all those, kept uh, stat sheets that I'd post, like, oh, this is how many times this song is won, or, you know, track all this stuff. Um, and just started posting more and more, started to, to get to know, uh, you know, people on the, the community, you know, around that time. 
Um, and Riot Act, people forget this, but Riot Act was not a well-received album no. when it, it came out. Neither was Binaural. And uh, so there are a lot of people on the board, you know, like really down on, you know, like you know, the, the crap that Pearl Jam was putting out and like, you know, this isn't my band anymore. And the stuff that, that follows with every album when it comes out. Sure. For the most part. I was just going to say that happens like every year, yeah. every album yeah, since yeah, then, it's been the same. Those thing. albums, the sky wasn't being scraped. It was no, falling. For exactly. <laughs> exactly. It was, uh, you, you would think they like, they came over to your house personally and just like, <laughs> pistol whipped your dog. Um, and I, but I always, I tried at least to, to just even if there were things that I were was critical about, and Riot Act was, you know, and Binaural were not, I mean, were not my favorite. There's no Pearl Jam I don't like, but, uh, you know, they're, they're towards the bottom for me. But at least being positive and civil about the conversation and not trying to devolve into, you know, just, you know, internet nonsense. Um, and then Buggy, who was the the owner and I guess the the chief moderator, probably around 2005, this is in the run-up to the self-titled album, uh, asked me if I wanted to become a moderator and basically keep an eye on uh, Pearl Jam chat because they were expecting a lot more traffic for the the ST album, and that was that was it. Uh, once I sort of became uh, modded, and I didn't have to keep bothering people on the website, like, "Oh, I want to do this. Can you please sticky this thread? Can you please do this?" Thing? That's probably why they asked me. It was just to stop harassing. <laughs> just do it yourself. <laughs> yeah, like if we if we give you this power, will you go away and leave us alone? Um, and then, especially for like you know, about a, a good ten-year stretch, I was just on constantly. I think the, the board got rebooted twice, um, and really just tried to. F- I tried to focus on sort of like regular serialized content on the board, and especially if you go to the 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 main Pearl Jam uh, fan fan site, the Ten Club site. Um, there's it's very difficult to navigate from a, a mm-hmm. user perspective because every time somebody has a thought, they start a thread, mm-hmm. and. Uh, one of the things I tried to do in a very anal retentive kind of way when I first became moderator was like, all right, this still a relatively new board at that point, but there's, you know, 200 pages of threads or whatever. And I remember I sp- uh, this was the weekend that Worldwide Suicide came out, the single. And I was house, I was dog sitting for my parents. So I was, you know, at a house away from friends. I had this new song and I just basically put it on repeat and went through a hundred pages of threads and like took notes and like merged everything. So that, all right, there's one thread that's talking Good about Lord. There's one thread that's talking about, you know, rear view mirror. There's one thread that that's doing this to try to give the, the board some structures. I'm sure pissed some people off who just like being able to post whatever they want, whenever they wanted. And I'm sure other people just looked absolutely psychotic. Um, but, uh, you know, that and, uh, than just really trying to do what I, I could to establish uh, a tone that was welcoming to uh, to new posters and um, that really encouraged like you know sort of deep thoughtful dives into the music like you know basically to get people to make the kinds of posts I felt like reading mm-hmm. and and responding to and so and that was that was it it's probably became, a longer answer to that question than you wanted no you became the change you wanted to see in the world step as Gandhi would say. <laughs> Exactly. The world, the world being a Pearl Jam message board. <laughs> you know, but it, it felt it felt bigger than that at the, the time. Uh, I was on there just a couple of days ago for the first time in a while. And I when I, I almost only go on the Pearl Jam um, part of it. I don't really go on the other stuff. And, um, you know, pretty much the first page of threads is they're all like 125 pages long. You know, one of them I, I went through and it was like, uh, oh, uh, binaural deluxe. Somebody put together like every little possible leaked version of, of of a demo and slapped it together. And then like five things down, you're like, oh, thanks for not linking this because we'd get in trouble. You know that whole thing. And I'm like, wait, wait, that was 2014. I'm looking at page one. Oh my lord! And then you go to the last page, and it's like, what are we even talking about anymore? <laughs> but it's like this, it's a lot of the same, a lot of the same people kind of stick around and ha- you you start, you start recognizing personalities. And I know, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned the March Madness thing. I, was I remember a part of- Corduroy won, and I remember Sad won the B-sides. I'll never forget Sad when Sad won the B-sides. I was like, ah, all right, I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but not, I mean, March Madness happened a few times, right? But then there's mm-hmm. also like the um, the covers competitions, and people would submit their own. I, I, yeah. I was a part of that. Um, yeah, there's still a couple I, of those I, I, I have on my iPod. Really, mm-hmm. there was a um, there was a version of an Alice in Chains song called "Right Turn" that I did with 
um, left circles, porch ball, and uh, Jeff Blag. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't remember his handle, but like, it's weird. Like, the, hey, my Jay point. Blag. What's up? Jay Blag. Yeah, he there you go. Really Jay Blag. Yeah, there might have been one more person that I'm forgetting, and I'm apologize to that person if they're listening. But by the way, Jeff doing uh, PJ Stat Tracker now, so awesome that he's made something amazing out of his nerdy fandom. Uh, but it's, my point is, is that we've found people, at least I can say, have found some friends over this over this thing we call Pearl Jam. And so I guess I'll, I'll transition it to how did you find yourself loving the band Pearl Jam? And like, who did you grow up with that also shared this love of Vinity for the band? Um, well, I mean, I'll, I'll date myself a little bit. I mean, I, I became a Go fan. Go ahead. We've dur- already done that. D- We're well, that's true. That's true. Uh, during 10. And I've, I found Pearl Jam through Nirvana and I found Nirvana through Weird Al Yankovic and uh the <laughs> and like bmg and columbia house like this yes. is around i was like 15 i had my yeah. first job in the mall like got a cd player and it's like all right i have to now like learn what music is <laughs> and but I, I was you know growing up a huge weird alpha and i still i still intermittently am and i didn't actually know nirvana but i saw the smells like uh nirvana video and it was you know i laughed my ass off and it's like, you know, I kind of like, I like that song just even as a song. So let me find out who this Nirvana band is. And I, I got, I bought a tape. This is actually pre-CDs, bought a, you know, a cassette of, uh, of Nevermind. And, you know, prior to that, my music tastes were hair metal, you know, like Michael Jackson, Prince Madonna, like, you know, like just what was, what was popular. The classics. And yeah, sure. Exactly. And uh, Nevermind just, just blew my mind like i just listened to nothing but that album you know ad infinitum for an entire summer just you know constant uh constant loop never getting tired of it and then when i got cd players and i had a cd player i had to start buying stuff i um just i i was getting my, my 10 free cds for signing up and i had heard that i have heard of this band pearl jam and i heard that they were kind of like nirvana it's like all right i'll, I'll just i'll just get this on on faith and it would have been, I guess, my sophomore year. And I just, I put it on, I was in my room and um, it was really like, like even, even flow, like that was it. I, I was, was hooked by the time it got there. There was, there was no looking back. It, it was not very long after that until I, I was prepared to say they were my favorite band. I do remember that first night the CD was skipping and the start of garden was just on a, <laughs> a perpetual loop. And to this day, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Garden. Ten is my like second or third favorite album of all time. What's the pearls? Uh, but Garden is, you know, it's it's Garden is filler for me, and I don't know how much of that is just subconsciously going back to that. Like, is this song ever going to start? Uh, experience that I had the first time. Um, but in the early '90s, you know, when I was in high school, so you know, I had ten verses Vitology. It was easy to be a Pearl Jam fan because they were everywhere. Right. Um, and then I went off to college and. Pearl Jam became a, a you know circa 1996. I mean, as you guys know, they became a cult band so quickly yeah. and so oddly, just given how you know musically important they still were. That, and I was in college. I was in so I was in a, a smaller, you know, more secluded place. And this is also you know college is the point where people start experimenting with the music that they listen to and sort of you know staking their claims as to you know what they're going to talk about, and what they aren't. And so Pearl Jam just really started to drop off. Like they were still. Uh, a mega band, but it wasn't cool to like them in the same way. And they weren't the, you know, b- by design, arguably, like the ubiquitous presence they were in the early 90s. And so I, they were still my favorite band, even though albums like No Code and Yield aren't my, you know, among my favorites, you know, still all I wanted to listen to, all I wanted to to talk about. And there was nobody really there. Um, you know, I could harass my friends about it and I can get them to go see shows, but they weren't, I, I could leave it on when we were in the dorms because you know it was my turn and it was fine, but nobody connected with them the same way that I did, and so I was really primed to think to just discover an online community where it's like I don't know who any of these people are. They're just you know screen names and avatars, but like holy shit, all these people love Pearl Jam as much as I do, or they love it more, and they're happy to like just sit here and chat all day because it was like you know it's a global board too. Like no matter what time I'm on somebody will be there who wants to talk about it. And because of the time zones, you can kind of have 
especially when I was, you know, at my posting peak, you know, four or five different conversations going throughout the course of the day as the different shifts sort of logged in. And so you could live in that space, you know, forever if you wanted to, you know, especially during the periods where the, the board was large and, and really active and engaged. You know, it's funny, Stip, you talk about connecting with the music. I can honestly say that there was a, a long period, I want to say probably from Riot Act all the way through Gigaton, where what drew me to the sky I scrape was your album reviews. It, it was a thing, whenever an album came out, the thing I most looked forward to online was not the interaction with the community as much as it was reading your reviews. I thought they were so thought-provoking and insightful and the way that you really tried to mine the territory of these songs and really just explore them from what I thought was a very objective angle. Um, I know some might argue that point and say that it was highly subjective, but I always felt that you brought a level of critical analysis to each track that you, you managed to kind of think about not just the song's place within the construct of the album as a whole. Um, like, for example, you, you had some great commentary on Binaural where you talked about Break or Fall being more of a B-side and how you, you kind of questioned its, play, its placement on the album. But there's also this kind of greater schematic of looking at each song within the greater construct of the Pearl Jam catalog. And you, you have this wonderful articulate ability to share your thoughts. So... I'm curious, in your perspective, just because you've, you've done these wonderful, elaborate, eloquent reviews of every track for every album, what are some lyrics that you really love to gravitate towards that, that still speak to you to this day? I actually, I think I, I had started a thread on that in Red Mosquito a couple of months ago when I was uh, during the March Madness uh, uh, for 21. Um, there's... Eddie, as a writer, works best for me with, um, you know, these these like sort of like short, like almost aphoristic bursts that just ring so true because of the 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 authenticity of his voice and the the clarity and depth of of feeling, um, and so it's not he doesn't have a huge catalog with just these you know, incredible, like, you know, poetic turns of phrase where you, um, you know, you just wonder like, how did he come up with that image per se? Although some of those do exist. I mean, he's, he's a, he's a good writer, but it's the, it's almost, it's, it's the mission statement moments for me in particular. Um, you know, the, uh, from breath, like if I knew where it was, I would take you there. There's much more than this, uh, from leash like not a song that i otherwise think of as as being you know amazingly written it's not it's a, it's a bit juvenile but uh the i am lost i'm no guide but i'm i'm by your side i'm right by your side that, that was our first lyric of the week yeah uh it, it's uh like I, I can't fault it it's a, it's a it's a great one um those are probably still my my two favorites the um the force the the I guess it's not the course and force. No, it's it's one of the courses in force of nature. The uh, somewhere there's a siren singing a song only he hears. Um, that's probably my favorite of the the modern lyrics. Although unlike many, I actually think, um, especially post a uh, uh, self titled album, like uh, the writing on the last three albums is very very strong. I think he's actually grown quite a bit as a as a lyricist, especially as on these albums, he's, he starts grappling with new territory with, um, you know, with aging and legacy and, you know, being middle aged. all that. Yeah, exactly. Whereas the, the first, um, I guess it'd be seven albums were uh, all basically about the same thing. It's a lot uh, of social commentary. It's a lot of social commentary and it's a lot of, you know, uh, how much difference does it, does it make it's uh it's a lot of um how do you find the energy and meaning in a, a world that doesn't have it how do you convince yourself to keep fighting because the fight itself has to have meaning you know it's every album grapples with those questions differently but he really is 
it's not really until Backspacer that he kind of puts that to bed. And it's it's such a part of who he is that it'll it still crops up in the later albums. But um, you know, Lightning Bolt and, and Gigaton are really doing something new lyrically. And I, I think they're they're really well written. There's some amazing uh turns of phrase in most of those. Oh, um a couple of my favorite uh I it's been a year and a half or a little bit over a year, so I don't know if this is still recency bias, but even on Gigaton, um uh you know, love notwithstanding, we are each of us fucked. Well, um, I, I I put that line up on Facebook. I rarely post on Facebook, but this was like the first time posting the year. It's like I just feel the need to share this lyric. Um, the uh, all the answers will be found in the mistakes that we have made. You know, there's there's a couple of other. There's an entire verse in Seven O'clock that that I just adore. I mean, there's think, a lot. But sorry, uh, the, no, ahead, this kind of brings me to kind of a, a bigger point that we talk about all the time when it comes to Eddie's lyrics is that. We agree, obviously, I mean, being fans of the band and all that, he's an excellent lyricist, but there are two kind of styles, I think. There's there's the storytelling and there's the poetry. And it's which which side do you think he does better at and which side do you prefer, I guess, is the question. I don't think he's a good storyteller, to be really? honest. Um not in the you're gonna love our lyric of the week. <laughs> no, I, I, I was I, I I saw what it was, and like you know that I'll give you an example. Like "Alive" is my favorite Pearl Jam song. It's my favorite song of all time by any band ever. And "Alive" as narrative, I don't think is that great. Um, as just like you know here, especially if it's about the things that you know Eddie has you know said that he wanted it to to be about. You know the the incest story. Like that's that's not a well told story in that regard it's very it, abstract it's fragmented yes i think exactly it is and so if you think then about like that the narrative is really secondary to the meaning uh the empathy the the core idea that he's trying to to capture and there's just this this skeletal fragment of a story because there's a, a deeper emotional core that he captures in a handful of lines and of course you know you can't separate that from his voice you know his he's got the most empathetic voice of any singer I've ever listened to. And, and you hear so, that in release as well. Those little yeah. pieces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, think Completely of some of the agree. biggest songs. You got Better Man, you got Black, you got Even Flow, Ace from the early days. These are stories, but yeah, they're, they're, they're the most re- know, revered, but like, you know, in a popular yeah. sense, songs. Is it just the fact that this story is getting well, it's you not, to a place? It's not a narrative in the same way Fast Car by Tracy Chapman is, you right. know, where, where you have a, a beginning, middle, and third act. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have that same sense of closure. It really is these momentary pieces of emotion and alienation and or sentimentality. And so I, I, I do see what you're saying there. And like there's like, you know, Better Man's a good example. Like I think one of like the best written pop songs of the 90s. And Better Man does an amazing job of setting a scene. Like the, the first verse in Better Man is astoundingly, you know, well-written, um, you know, and it does so much in such a brief period of time. But as a, a story, like, like, you know, Paul just said, it doesn't have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Like Black is about a character, but the character isn't growing or changing. You know, they're, they're lingering yeah, there's in that no space. There's no arc. There's no arc. Uh, Jeremy, similar to Better Man, there's just there's some incredibly evocative moments, but it's not telling a story. There are some songs that do that better than others, and especially as he grew as a writer, he got he got better at, at that. Yeah, but Johnny I think, Guitar, you start seeing more yeah. of an arc, stuff like that. Yeah, and you know, I, I love the lyrics in Johnny Guitar because there, there's nothing quite like them before, and they're they're just. They're utterly, but like so deliberately juvenile. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I like after, you know, 150 songs or, you know, whatever, you know, is on the album proper and the major B-sides, like there's there's always space to for a moment like that. Um, but I, I think his his best stuff captures the emotional authenticity of a space, whether he's doing it totally abstractly or with you know a couple of scenes that he's painted as a jumping off point, but it's pretty rare that that there's stories. Force of Nature is my favorite uh, overall lyric, probably of the last three or four albums, maybe after a, a couple of uh, maybe clunky lines right at the start. And it does it, it feels like a story, you know, in a sense. But then if you dive into the lyrics, like the guy is in the same space the whole time; he never moves. He's just 
articulating the the space that he's in and where his his commitment to this person or this idea you know comes from just like you are in a sense right mm-hmm. so i mean this is great we we look at the way these lyrics evolve the way his songwriting evolves i think in many ways it it parallels the way the community has evolved in some respects but i'm curious Stip, just from your point of view being i don't want to say behind the wall but as a moderator of what I would say are probably the two quintessential Pearl Jam online hubs, aside from obviously the band site itself, uh, how do you think the fan base has grown? How, how have you seen the community grow being on your side of the fence? Grow in terms of its arc or grow in terms of just uh, the size of it? Not, not this. Well, the size, sure. But more, I think more um, interestingly is how, we all have changed as as humans listening to the band and growing with the band. Because you said you wanted to publish content that you'd want to read. Mm-hmm. So ha- do you feel that through sites like Red Mosquito and The Skies I Scrape that there are more people that are contributing to the types of conversations that we're having right now? I mean, how, how have oh, yeah, you seen... Th- yeah, absolutely. There are, for people who are... I- I'm not going to name any names here, but for people who've been with the board for... Uh, a long time. Absolutely. If you compare the kinds of posts that they'll make now, the degree of thoughtfulness, the, the kind of um, the, the lens through which they'll look at lyrics, the sophistication with which they write about the, the band, whether it's lyrically or musically. And I'm always grateful for the musical um, posts people make because I don't have a, the vocabulary to talk about music the way that I, I could about, about lyrics. I just don't know enough about the actual craft of music to, to do it. Um, there's, I, th- I think we've attracted posters who want to engage in those kinds of conversations um, and they'll, they'll stick around for it. And I think the number of people who have changed their, their posting style over time and just sort of grown with that and gotten used to those deeper conversations is, um, it's if you get a good conversation going, it's a lot more likely to be democratically sophisticated. Uh, you know, in that the average post uh, in the thread, the average person engaging with the the content, I think, is um, way more interesting than it was um, ten, fifteen years ago when I when I first started. It's it's there, you know. I mean, you you read the lyrics and you see those as as you talked about at these moments of authenticity, emotional authenticity that are very relatable. That I think all of us have felt in some capacity at one point or another. And it's easy to find ourselves having these very humanistic conversations about the holistic elements of Pearl Jam's music. Um, you know, you you think of, about. I mean, I'm going to quote a philosopher here, like Descartes. He said, I, I think, therefore I am. And just wrapping your head around that concept that the, because I can process thought, therefore I must exist. And having the ability to kind of argue that or, or present a counter argument, it's, it's that type of level of discussion that I am noticing more and more people are having in the way that they look at what Pearl Jam is writing about. And I would attribute it to us getting older with the band and kind of starting to identify with the themes and motifs of the music and the lyrics as they become more real for us as people. Well, and on top of that, you know, you think about, we are a little bit younger than they are, right? So Mm -hmm. you mentioned you're basically like 12 to 13 years younger than the guys. We're a little bit more so removed. So like as they're going through their lives and learning these things and, and having these experiences, you know, they go through the no code thing when they're what in their early thirties. Yeah, I couldn't wrap my head around I around had, the bend. Then I had kids, and I, and I love <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> I couldn't. That's that's the big one. You know, I I didn't understand uh, present tense for the longest time. I didn't understand stuff on Riot Act for the longest time. I didn't understand inside job until probably three years ago. I mean, there, for some reason, there are just some moments and 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 stories or or. Or the poetry that, or the, the meaning they're trying to get across that you, it takes time to process. So I, I always find it interesting, even going back to the you know, Red Mosquito or any of the other sites and, and seeing the discussions change as people start to 
catch up to what the experiences of the band were when they wrote those songs. And so you can go back and watch a show, like you can go back and watch a touring band and like, oh man, the way that the band is interacting with, you know, parting ways is I didn't get it at the time, but now I totally understand because I've been through that kind of relationship and da, 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 da. Do you, do you think that the internet has helped a group like Pearl Jam fans, uh, unlike any other, because you mentioned, you know, being so into this band in the nineties, there's no, no one around you that really got it. Like you got it, but you turned to the internet. And I feel like uh, I can say for me that in its relative like, infancy, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. But, but as we grow up with the band, the internet kind of grows up and, be, and we're all kind of going on these parallel paths and we find those other people who think like we think, and we all kind of mature and evolve in, in, in similar ways. As, as the band has as well, the way they hid stuff with lightning yeah, bolts so and the, the gigaton release stuff. I mean, it, you're to right. all that point then, you know, how, how has the fan base evolved for you? And not just online, but how have we uh, accepted the music as it's come, as we've gotten older, as the band has gotten even more older, it, it, has it has it diverged of people left because they're stuck in a time warp or how do you think we've evolved with the band it's a good question and i i i would be hesitant thank to you, i'm out thank you very much I'll buy it. I'll, I'll <laughs> I, I, yeah there you go you, you've hit your, the thesis of your stands out yeah um i uh i'd be hesitant to speak for for everybody but i think there are there are people who i think growing up with the band want the band to make them feel young mm. and want the band to remind them how they felt when they were 18, 20, 25, and are frustrated that they can't do that. And they, and of course they can't because these are, you know, grown ass men approaching their sixties uh, who are just in a, a different space. Uh, and if they try to do that, it would ring, uh, it would ring inauthentic. Mm -hmm. Um and then I think there are, and so those fans might still have an, they, they might be perpetually sort of attached to the band because they were so formative for so long and they, the authors of so many of their favorite songs, but there'll be an adversarial relationship that you'll have because they can't give you what you want. Mm -hmm. And whether or not it's fair to ask that of them is irrelevant. If it's what you want, um, it's, it's going to be the framework through which you're evaluating the music that they give you. Um, where they are, um, how they sound. Um, and conversely, you can't tell a fan that you like the band for the wrong reasons mm -hmm. because there are no right or wrong reasons to like the band, but there is a consequence that comes with the reasons for which you are drawn to the music. And, and I think that's, that's a very good point you just made. And then there are the people who, uh, who are happy sort of growing up alongside them and as as luck would have it and i think this is because of my my age uh and that i was hitting milestones um not too far you know off from the the band especially because musicians i'm over general hideously over generalizing here but i, I suspect that they start settling down uh maybe a little bit later that the points at which my life was starting to level out you know being 12 15 years behind them it mirrored that yeah like i didn't spend my 20s the way they spent their 20s um you know so you were sort of caught up. crowds in europe uh uh i under a pseudonym but uh <laughs> oh, okay they weren't quite as big the um but then there's there's also the politics of it i think had made a helped a lot for me as well. Like my politics are very similar to, to Eddie's and so much of the post yield music is political. And that rather than grappling, you know, solely with existential themes or filtering politics through that, it, it's becoming much more grounded in the world that he now feels attached to responsible for is living in will be the world that his family will be living in when he is gone and just trying to make sense of that, trying to understand what a presidency like, you know, George W. Bush's meant, you know, understanding how it felt in, you know, 2000, uh, 2008 when Barack Obama was, was elected and the world you know, convinced itself that all of its deep-seated problems are going to go away. You know, in an album like Lightning, like Lightning Bolt, grappling with the fact that, like, 
you know, like time is running out and things aren't getting any better. And at a certain point, how much of this is my fault? Um, you know, or the, the fault of, of my generation, the people around me, you know, dealing with it, I think, in an even more direct and articulate way in, in Gigaton. So while I've always been somebody who would say, like, I'm happy to, you know, like, I'll, I'm happy to go where the band is, feels like taking me. Uh, and like, I'll explore what they're exploring when they're exploring. My life and my interests have happened to have synced up really well. And so for a fan like me, um, they've always felt relevant because there's always been something in my life that has sort of been able to track with the, the questions that they were exploring. Uh, now, and then there's, a, yeah, go ahead, step, go ahead. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna read myself at this point. <laughs> so as a fan who's happy to grow with the band, where or what I should say, do you hope for the future of this band? And I suppose for you in that respect, if it's, it's a true mirroring here. Um, I think Lightning Bolt and Gigaton, and I never finished the, I need to go back to it. I never finished the guided tour thread for Lightning Bolt. Um, that, that was not a popular album on the board. And I was writing that at a time too, where I was working at a college that was um, in the process of closing. And so it was a really just stressful time in my life in general, small kids. And it's like, if I'm just writing to entertain myself at a certain point, it, it's too self-indulgent to finish right now. Um, I do want to go back to it because I do love that album. Um, and I arguably like the back half of it more than the second, the, the front half. Life. And yeah. uh, that's where I left off. It was just getting to the, the good stuff. You know, I was prepared to, to go to the mat over future days, which is a song I really like. Uh, I, hey. I, I would you finish with Yellow Moon? I, I remember reading. No, not well. Did, I would have. Did you get to Yellow Moon? Not in well in the the review of the album. Yes. I would have, but in the the guided tour. No, I think I got to Infallible. I don't remember, maybe Pendulum. Okay. Uh, somewhere around there. I don't know if I got to Pendulum. Uh, I I plan to write one for Gigaton in the not too distant future. But again, I, I work in education, and with COVID, uh, the ground keeps shifting. We have to keep reinventing everything that we do. That I just can't clear the decks to like say i can put aside two hours in the morning you know and, and just show up to work a little late and and work on this but it's at some point uh that'll get done maybe over the summer um i want them to keep exploring the the themes that they're that they're exploring i think they're starting to really cover some really interesting ground about what the world we're leaving behind is and what it means um I'm a, a Gen Xer. I, I think you guys are uh, mm -hmm. as well. And um, it, our legacy is not anything to really be proud of. You know, there's uh, if you if you look at who we've been and what we've done as a generation compared to say like you know the millennial generation, you know, behind us, which is you know is really moving in all sorts of ways that we promised to do and never did. <laughs> Why um, do you think that is? That's a <laughs> that's a whole another podcast in itself. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a yeah, I'm a there. I'm a, a political scientist in my other life, so you. Um, what part? Uh, we'll get you, we'll you in part yeah. two for that because that, that, that is a long that, conversation. A hard, I that's, think a, that's a hard a hard question that, that loops in with with Pearl Jam a, a lot for me, and so I think that's something we can say for another time. I will say that you know, um, talking about how you know they've kind of dovetailed into this um, more 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 overtly political. Um, themes. Um, I wonder, in talking about the future, I wonder how, you know, the album since Eddie became a father has influenced his writing. And then obviously from now, as we see with obviously retrograde climate change, the whole nine, and as they wrote this, Trump was in office and still tons of work to be done, uh, much to be done, if I can quote uh, seven o'clock. And how, how do you think that has kind of changed or altered his mind and how he approaches music going forward? Well, there's a greater sense of sentimentality. I Absolutely, <laughs> there uh, there is a level of schmaltz that did not exist. Uh, and future days. Once, yeah, exactly. And it's you know what, either you go with it or you don't. Yeah. And there are definitely times it it doesn't work. Um, you know that that's not. It doesn't veer hallmark, but <laughs> it it gets it gets. There are times that it gets close without, <laughs> um, which is okay because again. If you think about a song like if every song was Future Days, it would be a nightmare. Yeah. But it, it there is space in a massive catalog 
for that kind of heart on sleeve sentimentality. And I would have rebelled at a song like that or a song like Sirens, two songs that I really like um, in the early 90s, where even using the, the word love in a song, you know, in my, in my teenage wisdom, you know, felt, felt lazy and trite. Um, but then, you know, you were uh, talking you know, about this a little bit, um, you know, Jason, in your, your last episode. Um, you know, then once you experience these things yourself, they start to ring true in ways that that you didn't understand before. And like, you know, Schmaltz works because it speaks to people who've had those authentic feelings. It activates them. It, it triggers them. And it's coming from a voice that you have identified as authoritative or that you've allowed to speak for you or to like sort of put into words the things that you're, you're feeling. Um, I, so I don't think it's where he's at his best as a writer, like Future Days has a couple of nice lyrics in it. Um, but that song is carried on its authenticity, on the fact that you you believe that he's, you, be, you believe every word of it. And it also trades a little bit on the back catalog in that there aren't a lot of songs like this. And so if he's going to take the time to do something that nakedly sentimental, it must be important. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only thing I could think of, you mentioned it earlier, uh, from the early records, like maybe Around the Bend. And even Around the Bend, a song that I also did not really just found boring, you know, uh, when it came out and, you know, now, you know, have a an appreciation for, in part because of some of the posts from uh, people who weren't me on the, on Red Mosquito that really, you know, from people that I respected that caused me to pause and go back and sort of like try to see the song the way they saw it. But even Around the Bend has a, a distance to it. Um, you know, it's it's a study. It's somebody trying to. It was written for uh, Jack Irons, kid. Right. <laughs> and I, I and 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 I think he's trying to imagine how Jack Irons must feel putting his kid to bed. And future uh, days is how he feels. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, well you know, or sirens, the end. You know, another song that you guys flagged. Uh, you know, last week, uh, those weren't songs he could have, for better or worse, he could have written uh, a long time ago. But at, at the same time, there are especially if you pull away the politics, like, you know, they could still produce, I think, a song like, um, I guess it depends how far back you want to go, like A Grievance to Do the Evolution. I mean, I, I, I know these are not necessarily universally beloved songs, but I think stuff like uh, they are here. Manners, <laughs> Comatose, are brilliantly <laughs> written, just political screeds that are just, you know, top tier uh, songs for me. Um, but some of the just... A, a song like Immortality, um, Not For You, I don't think those are songs they could write now in the same way that they couldn't write a song like Future Days then, because that's just not who these, that's not who they are. That That's why a song well, like Corduroy, Immortality would probably be Comes Then Goes at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, excellent, excellent point. And that's one of his best, uh, his best lyrics ever, uh, you know, as, as a whole. That that song is, is astounding. Which one are you talking about? Uh, comes and goes. Well, See, I, I agree. I absolutely adore that song lyrically. It's my favorite of the album. Um, I know Paul and I don't agree on the music necessarily because it's a little long in the tooth, but um, I, I think I think it's interesting where the band is going. I think both, as we've talked about with Eddie and as the whole band um, grows and gets even older and they experience more and some of the things that they that could have pissed them off in the, when they're in their 20s, they, they can step back and, and view it from a different way. And we'll get that lyrically. And obviously they're, they're getting even more um, experimental in the music portion of things, which you can, you can take it or you can leave it, but it, it always comes back to rock and roll, which is what we're all here for. And I think looking forward to um, see here now, looking forward to Ohana, looking forward to when the tickets that are sitting in our phones for that gigaton tour uh-huh. um, become a reality. I know we're all going to be excited for that. Um, so uh this is or- ordinarily where we'd say you know thanks for stopping by and and this has been great but you know what i think you should stick around for a lyric of the week what do you think sure i got nowhere to be okay my wife can put the kids <laughs> to bed fantastic all right let's go to the lyric of the week and the lyric of the week this week comes from verses and it comes from dissident Like a wordless place, nothing said 
All right, Step, you're the guest. I'm going to give this to you. What, what do you make of this, uh, this second verse from Dissident? You know, we were talking about narrative uh, earlier, and Dissident is one of those songs that is a narrative that doesn't work as a narrative. Um, you know, there, there's no specificity to it. Um, you know, there, there are some vague allusions to some sort of political engagement, but there, there's, there's, you don't know what it is. Um, you know, and one song later is WMA. So they were obviously capable of doing that at the time. Um, uh, but what I think this verse does well, and like, you know, certain, certain words like, you know, glided on uh, phrases, you know, like word misplaced. Um, it, it, the song is about forgiving yourself when you don't take the stand you should have taken. You know, so much of verses is about that in, in different ways. About um, being willing to question yourself and realize that you've made a mistake, forgive yourself for it. Like you know, the 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 so much of that song is just you know like uh, anthematic overdrive because it's meant to sort of pu- pump you up and prop you up after you've you've fallen. Um, and the first half of this. Uh, you know, really captures that it falls down a bit, like you know, that there was meeting, but she sold him to the state. Like it's it that's too oddly specific a lyric for a song that otherwise doesn't really give it any context. But the rest of it, you know, the way in which it sort of interrogates her past failure, but it re- kind of refuses to judge her for it because you know, failing is human, um, and it's it's really easy to criticize somebody for not doing the right thing in the moment, but there's no guarantee that you would do it either. You know, and and there's almost no point to it. What matters is, can you be better next time, or can you try to be better next time? Um, and even though you know, at the end, she, you know, she had to turn around. Um, you know, the song realizes she's made a mistake. I mean, like the best lyric in Dissident is the you know, "Escape is never the the safest path." It's uh, it's one of the it's one of the best lyrics on the album. Uh, you know, despite my my earlier critique of of the rest of it. Um, and when it's it's focused on that, you know, like that that sort of self reflection and, and self interrogation, I, I think it works, especially with the um, the humanity and the performance, uh, and the way in which the the music celebrates the the mistake and and forgives it. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. You mentioned this idea of um, not standing up, not taking a stand when you had the chance. Um, Something that really stuck with me this year was was January 6th. And Jason and I have talked about that insurrection quite a bit. I was reading an article in uh, New York Magazine recently, and it, it focused on how Trump, he's even in, in a proverbial exile, is basically still focused on somehow seizing power. And he's obsessed with this Arizona audit. He's getting ready to uh, in August, and you know that? Yeah, I know that that's, that's the, the, but he, you know, he recently met with, with Jeff Brame, the CEO of the social media site Clout Hub, which, uh, you know, for those who don't know, Jeff Brain actually helped organize the January 6th caravans. I did not know that. And, um, or at least the, the, the site did as far as I, at least that that's what I've read from this article. And, the article finished with this really poignant paragraph that I want to share. It says the party elite, the party elite, meaning the GOP may roll its eyes in private, but its public agenda is to placate the insurrection. The Republican mainstream is refusing to talk about it, not because it's too weak to be taken seriously, but because it's too strong in the red States. Republicans are laying the groundwork to make the next insurrection easier. Trump and his diehards are busily rehabilitating the last one. And so this lyric from Dissident really speaks to me as a parallel because I, I can't help but wonder, this is that time where we just simply cannot afford to not do something. You know, we cannot afford to look back later and say, I wish we had done something when we had the mm-hmm. opportunity. The, the stakes are far too great. The risk for future generations, far too dire. And so 
I, these lyrics have never resonated more with me than they do today. And, and that was really what inspired selecting them this week to, to discuss, mostly because I, I can't wrap my head around the lack of urgency in doing everything humanly possible to disable voter repression acts and, and laws and to, to try to reverse the course of gerrymandering, to really look at the, that groundwork that, that has, has been laid for decades and is now being compounded and augmented despite the fact that they don't control a single branch of government. I mean, it, it, if there was ever a time to seize the day and not feel in four or five, six or seven years, why didn't we take it? It's now. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things we love about the band is that, you know, even even a song that's clearly about something specific, there's enough there in the poetry of the lyrics to find a parallel contemporarily. So, And, and mindful here, I mean, I, I try not to veer partisan in one respect or another. I, I'm just simply saying that the ends, I don't care what, what you identify with an insurrection is an insurrection. And so Look, my commentary is focused on how that d- can democracy happen. is the framework through which difference is possible. And right. so you are either for small D democracy or you are, you know, against it and being against it can't be tolerated because then you can't have anything else. And so that's not a, a partisan issue. Uh, no. In, in that respect, um, you can be a conservative and still be a small. D- I would hope everyone from both Correct. sides of the aisle can come to terms with that, 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 that principle, but it seems to be harder and harder. <laughs> no. And it's, it's, it's the human instinct is to, you know, walk away is, is to embrace. Escape is security. never the easiest yeah, path. <laughs> it's not, but, but it's the, what, but we think it is. I think we're just exhausted. Honestly, um, but this this song for me, this lyric, this set of lyrics, I think I'm in the same arena as you guys, and it's it's this is more more of a specific way to look at it. But you know, we we know that Ed was very clear about what he thought this song was about, and, and you know, taking someone fleeing a problem only to not be able to handle the responsibility and give it back. And it's a heartbreaking um, thing, and I think you know, even though it's not a total one-to-one comparison. Um, I think about this country accepting people, refugees. And I think about, um, especially the people, uh, on the ground, uh, you know, with this border situation or, or any of the ports who have, especially the border situation who may be trying to do good things and, and abide by what we're meant to stand for. I mean, talk about the Statue of Liberty and all what it says, um, and then having to follow certain certain rules and certain laws that don't make any sense to them or to what this country stands for and having to turn people back to the hellscapes that they come from. And as a country, to zoom out and say, or to feel helpless or feel guilty that you allowed, even though we, you know, people like you and I obviously didn't vote for the kind of people that would make this a thing, but we can't help but you know, we are the country we've, we've elected. Take it, you know, mm-hmm. for good or for bad. Unfortunately, that's the that's the truth of it. And so mm-hmm. we feel some sort of responsibility and some in some level of guilt for all this shit that happens um, down at the border, at the ports. You know, these these travel bans. It's like, how did we get to a point where we became this this monolith of no, fuck you. It's like that, that's that's not who we're supposed to be. And I yeah, writing a song like this where, you know, the woman I, I could see the woman being this country, the good people of this country that want to do the right thing. And then it just it, it becomes too hard and, and you, you send somebody back and then, then there's this guilt and there's this responsibility of like, shit, I didn't do what I should be doing. Um, and I think, you know, here we are. We're, we're gliding on. Right. We're always here at home, but but mentally. You know, we read about this border crisis and our our minds can just feel so far away. Our souls can feel wasted because we cannot do anything about it. And I think that most people, I think many people at least feel most fulfilled when we help others, either in a micro or macro setting. And this is one of those stories where, you know, someone felt fulfilled to help, but bit off more than they could chew. 
It's not their fault. They couldn't completely help the refugee in the story, but nevertheless, it gave her life fulfillment. And I think we need to realize as a country and start acting on behalf of that fulfillment again, because too many people are not acting in that way. And it, in, in a song like this, which I love both musically or mostly musically, um, but also I think something like this um, just ties into that story. And that's the heartbreaking th thing is that a song like this can be written 29 years ago and still find its legs today in another more cruel, bigger way. And I hate that. <laughs> no, these are both really, I, I had not listened to Dissident in a long time, especially through the, the, the prism of where we are right now. Like I'm, I'm going to go put it on when uh, <laughs> I, I log off this, this call. What's, what's interesting for better or worse um, about so much of verses, but it, it's definitely here in this song is there's a, there's a humanism to it. And like a, a refusal to judge people for their their human failings, their human shortcomings, um, you know, to to condemn people for being human. Um, it names it, it calls it out, it you know explains exactly why this is problematic for all the reasons that you know Jason uh, that you just went into that that Paul talked about. But it doesn't judge. There's other songs that do. I mean, like you could actually really juxtapose. A song like Dissident or a verse like this with something like Comatose, which is just mm. absolutely searing and scathing and just a razor a razor sharp, you know, like economy of of storytelling, of lyrics, um, you know, excellent um sort of like agitprop poetry, you know, in that, you know, without necessarily coming out and naming it super directly. Um, so there are definitely times where, you know. You just want to, you know, grab people and shake them and, you know, like, you know, don't you see what's going on around you right now? Like, why can't you wake up to this? Um, but then you realize, too, that, you know, the whether they wake up or not, these are still going to be your neighbors. These are still going to be your fellow citizens, your fellow countrymen, and that you have to forgive them for their their sins. You have to forgive them for being human because that's the only way that you can move forward with them. And D dissident captures that, I think, uh, you know, in its refusal to judge. Like it, it, it names exactly what's wrong with the choices that this person made, uh, but it, it forgives her for making them. Oh man! Well, we could talk to you forever, Stip. Um, but uh, I think we'll save that for episodes two through nine. You know, it's like Star Wars <laughs> here. That's, that's how we live. The first trilogy. Uh, are you going to Ohana? You're not going to Ohana, right? You're you're sticking back on the East Coast. Yeah, no, I'm not. Uh, that's I. Uh, it's I'm in a place in my life right now where I could have, but it doesn't occur to me that I'm in that place yet. And I think it's because I just haven't seen Pearl Jam for so long because they weren't playing New York, and then the Baltimore show got canceled. That I think once I'm I'm at a show again, it will start occurring to me like I, you know, this is what it. This is the good part about being 44 and and being settled. You know, it's like I can just decide I'm going to go to Hawaii to see my favorite band because why the hell not? Uh, but I'm, I still haven't transitioned into that space yet. <laughs> Stip, Brian Stippelman, whatever you want to call him, the, the, the king of TSIS and Red Mosquito. Uh, thank you for coming on today. It's been a, pl a pleasure. Uh, thank you. And I, I, I learned a lot from you guys, which is oh, why please. these kinds of conversations are, are so important to me. Ah, Stip, what a champ. Sure is, man. Really enjoyed that, and uh, looking forward to having him back on again. Indeed, uh, so we've been very fortunate in that respect. Uh, I, pretty much everybody we've had on, I, I could. I, except I for that one blessed. person. <laughs> they know who they are. I'll play. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to our live card of the week. Ready to stand up. Okay, Paul, live cut of Dissident. Uh, where and when are we going? Escape is never the answer, Jason. Is there any place more representative of escape than Las Vegas? <sighs> or Vas Vegas, as, as, he, as uh, Eddie calls it, in 1993. <laughs> Let's go to, uh, the, where did they play? What, was it MGM? I think so, yeah. Okay. November 30th, 93.
What can you say? It's a tremendous performance. It's epic, man. I mean, and, and the sound recording from live from the vault number five, just the engineering was flawless. I just love it. It's a superior cut in every way, shape and form for me. Uh, and there was something about being in Vegas, that line, you know, escape is never the answer being directed at a whole slew of people that are literally there to do nothing but escape. <laughs> and the irony is just, it, it's too ripe. So I find the interesting part of this is that uh, it doesn't sound as heavy uh, no. or as gainy as the album version. But what that does is it allows Ed to kind of shine a little bit more. And I think, yeah. you know, we were just talking with Steph about this. You know, there is something about the lyrics in this song in the, the not necessarily what they are, but it's how he emotes them across through your ear holes. And it just kind of cuts a little bit different for me. And I, and I really enjoyed that from this particular version. And, and the, obviously the way he sings in 93 is different from the way he sings uh, later in his career. So there's obviously the end of the song um, really um, uh, is helped by, by that. So yeah, a lovely cut, a lovely concert. Um, go out and listen to that guys. If you haven't uh, the whole show, it's, it's fantastic. Vault number five, you said, right? Yeah. Vault number five. All right, gang. Well, uh, that was this episode. We we can't wait to have Stip back and uh, and talk to him again. I have like a ton more notes I could I could have talked to him about, but uh, we'll have a new uh, episode for you next week, June. What is that? Like I don't know, thirteenth. Week of the fourteenth, I think. Yeah, something like that. Ooh, Flag Day. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, <laughs> we uh, we have um, chosen a person to do the T-shirt. Um, that design is, we are speaking to him now about how that's going to go. It's underway. Underway. Uh, so be on the lookout for updates on that as we go through the summer before yours truly heads down the coastline to. And in the meantime, point. rate, review, subscribe. There you go. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Speaking of reviews, there was another one that I missed last week. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's a brand new one. Let me find it. 
Okay, so the one I, I missed, it happened like right before we posted um, mm-hmm. last time around. It says, this is from Karen in San Diego. So thank you, Karen. Five stars. You're a peach. Jason and Paul are prepared, insightful, and well-spoken without being scripted or plastic. So I'm so glad I found this pod to supplement my PJ community. Oh, Karen. Karen Little do you know I wing it every week. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Karen, Karen. Okay, so Karen's actually my burner account. No, I'm just kidding. Karen, <laughs> we appreciate you in we San do. Diego. And you know what? If you, if you come up to Ohana, if you're going to be there, you can come say hi. Uh, so yeah, guys, send in another review if you, if you'd like. Um, I'd love to read them on the air and uh, even the bad ones. Although, like I said, there hasn't been any bad ones just yet, but there could um, be. Oh, there will be, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gang. Well, until the next time we see you, you both sing to the state of love and trust. Yeah.